Hello, everyone, and welcome to a long overdue episode of the Forever Saturday podcast because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as S. George at R on Twitter. And I'm Matt, also at MattSwartz723. So it's been a minute, and a lot's been going on in the interim, but the most important thing, of course, is that Michigan is Big Ten champions again for the third consecutive year, third straight outright Big Ten championship for the first time in school history. So that's pretty cool. That's really something. I mean, I said last year after we won the Big Ten championship game, I think it was in that episode after we beat Purdue, right? And I said, like, these are the good old days. Two straight years, beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten title, now make it three. We've been seeing that clip of uh, Jim Harbaugh from a couple years ago, right? Like, we're going to do it or we're going to die trying. And, man, since then it's, uh, I don't know, it's something. Yeah, it it really is. In light of the fact that it's been a minute, we're not going to spend too much time on Iowa. Of course, it was three weeks ago and it was not that interesting But it's been chaotic in our household in the ensuing three weeks. So, you know, like Michigan plays this game on Saturday. I start a trial on Monday morning. Um, So I actually like worked all day that Saturday and was in the office. And I was like, please, 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 please let me go. Please let me go at like 630, you know. And And I I was out of town for a few days, right, as you were wrapping up your trial. And I got pulled into some other work nonsense that's kept me uh, working late. Yeah, it's either I'm working late or he is the last two weeks, basically. Ergo, the delay. But we're excited to be back. And, you know, we've got the Rose Bowl approaching. Matt and I secured our tickets today. Uh, Um, We did. So you'll be seeing us in Pasadena. Yeah, we'll talk about it. So, I mean, the Iowa game was pretty much as expected. It's it's all Iowa games, right? right? It's what Iowa turns every game into is a Big Ten West Rock fight. I mean, I'm sure this joke has been told like 900 times at this point, but like Michigan knew that game was over when it was three nothing. They kicked that field goal <laughs> and they're like, "We're good." And they treated it accordingly. I mean, it it's wasn't over. a very like crisp game, especially on offense, but they played it super vanilla because they knew, like you said, they knew it was over once they got the lead, and they totally dominated on defense as we expected they would against probably the worst offense in Power Five, and they took care of business. We knew they would, and now here they are. Like you said, third straight outright Big Ten title, 13-0, and and on to the college football playoff, which is certainly the more interesting topic at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're ready to do like the full preview of Bama and the matchup yet. We'll talk about them some today. We're sure. TBD if we're going to get a full preview episode. I suppose it depends on how the holidays shake out here. But we'll talk about Bama some, and we'll talk about, in general, the college football playoff. I haven't had a chance to have my tirade on the four-spot situation. So I we think, kind of missed our, our window for the rant. No, I'm this still can, doing This it. can be our window. I'm still doing Who cares? it. I, yeah, these rules are fake. Like, I get it. It's going to be a little after the cycle here, but we're going for it. So Michigan's the number one seed. Um, the first time they've ever been the number one seed in the college football playoff rankings. Last year, they were the two, and the year before that, I think they were also the two. Well, the first time they've ever made it to number one, because I've seen that list a few times of teams that have ever been number one in the playoff, and Michigan had never made it to number one up until these playoffs, right? Well, yeah, until no, that's Georgia what I mean. lost they, to Bama. But, like, we peaked at two, and we peaked at two oh, right, yeah. both times. Yeah. yeah, I thought you were referring to, like, playoff seeding, but I just meant in general ranking at any point in the in the season. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying. Like, not in the final ranking, but like, we never, but yeah. I mean, that, that checks out because the really the only opportunity that we have to get to the number one 
spot happens in the last week of the season anyway because right. knocking off Ohio State is fundamental and critical to ascending to number one. So our ability to be number one kind of inherently coincides with the end of the year, I think, in some respects, but that's a fair point. So obviously there was a debate over number four. Michigan draws Alabama in the four seed ahead of Florida State very controversially. Um, we were rooting for Bama to knock off Georgia actively. Oh, absolutely. We were actively rooting for that, and there were a lot of folks – who like disagreed vehemently with that approach because they said, we're going to draw Bama. And I've got to tell you, I didn't think they were right. I, I didn't think we were going to get Bama. I, I genuinely thought the SEC was getting left out. I thought the picture was clear that you were going to have three undefeated Power 5 champions in Florida State, Michigan, and Washington, and that that last spot was going to go to Texas, who beat Bama. I fundamentally did not believe we were drawing Bama. I will say that when I was actively rooting for Bama, <laughs> did not think we were going to draw them. Nonetheless, I wouldn't change that rooting interest. I think we were right to do it. We were, yeah. And I'd been saying, I mean, I kind of disagreed with you on that. I'd been saying for a few days on Twitter leading up to the conference championship games that Saturday that I will believe the SEC champ gets left out when I see it. Like, they should, but I don't actually think they will. The only thing I was wrong about is that I thought it would be Texas that would get left out because I said there's no way they're leaving out a 13-0 and Power 5 conference champion. But Texas, like, I know they had the head-to-head, -head, but you can always argue, like, they both lost a game, overall body of work, the way they ascended at the end of the year. Bama, we think, is the better team, blah, blah, blah. They did all that. They just did it to Florida State, right? They ended up being the ones who got jobbed in a way that was pretty shocking, given that, again, we'd never seen that for an undefeated Power 5 champion. It had never really come up before, but it was uh, that, that part of it was pretty shocking to me. I totally agree, though, that this was still the preferred outcome, I think. If you want Michigan to really have the best shot to win it all. What I said was, if you want the best shot to win one game, I would prefer Georgia wins and Michigan gets Washington. Because Washington's the weakest team in the playoff field. Or Michigan gets Florida State without Or Florida State, right. Whatever yeah. the, yeah, whatever the seeding might have, you know, however that might have fallen out. But if you really want Michigan to win it all, you want Georgia out of the field. Because basically everything that we'd seen, eyeball test, advanced metrics, et cetera, et cetera, said that Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams in the country. And if you can't beat this Bama team, which we'll talk about this more, but my logic was if you can't beat this Bama team, you weren't going to beat the Georgia team either to win it all. So, like, sure, maybe you get a softer matchup in the first round in the semifinal and you win that, but I don't think you're getting past Georgia anyway. So I'd still prefer that Bama wins and then you take your chance against whoever and you have the overall weaker field of three teams other than Michigan. Yeah, I'd take the slightly more difficult semifinal for what I think is a weaker field overall. Right. Without Georgia. And there has been a ton of ink spilled and a lot of tape recorded, digital audio recording. <laughs> no one records tape. Bandwidth space occupied or about something. About whether the committee got it right by leaving out Florida State. And we're not going to, I think, rehash all of that because you've probably heard every argument that could possibly be made on this point in the last three weeks. But I think we're both of the mind that they got it wrong. 
Well, yeah, I mean, what the, like, Herb Street and some of these other guys were arguing as soon as they got on the air. Herb Street is like, he's looking like a message board poster lately. He's like, it's like very unhinged behavior. I would get it if it were Ohio State who got in over Florida State, and then I could just chalk it up to Homerism. But it's Bama, and I don't really get it. But he's been like... Right, they were immediately on the soapbox talking about how it has to be the four best teams. It has to be best teams, not most deserving. And the thing is, that's never really been the case. They always say they want the best teams, and they say we got the best teams, but that's never really true. No, of course not. Right? Did anybody think 2015 Michigan State was better than 2015 Ohio State? I mean, 2020, uh, 2021 Cincinnati, right? 2022 TCU. TCU was an underdog to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game and lost and still got in because the committee didn't want to punish them for having played a conference championship game. They weren't one of the four best teams. Right. Be serious. Like, that has never really been the metric that they've tried to pursue. And if it were, then what we would have and what we would have had for probably the last four to five years would be something like Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. And that would have been it. And you could have just taken those teams. You could have, you know, eight weeks in said... These are clearly the best teams because, you know, Vegas, Lions, whatever you want to look at, quantitatively, these are the teams that would be favored. And in that case, I think that was a factor in them taking Bama, right, was, well, Michigan would probably rather play Florida State because we understand they're kind of a shell of themselves without Jordan Travis. So in that regard, Bama's the more compelling team to get in, has a better chance to win it all. But again, that's never really been the metric. That's never really been the thing that they've tried to use to determine the field. Right. I mean, as a practical matter, I can probably name 10 teams that have appeared in the college football playoff since its inception that I don't think belonged there if we were going with 10, or if we're going with four best. Right. Right. Like I said, that 2016 Ohio State team comes to mind. They were kind of soft as far as best goes, right? Sure. That 2015 Michigan State team, that was actually, per Bill Connolly, the worst team that ever made the college football playoff, right? And we found out immediately right. <laughs> in that playoff. Why? Every Notre Dame team that has ever snuck into the playoff in that spot, the year Washington snuck into the playoff, not this sure. year, but they did it in like 2018 or 19, something like that, right? 2021 Cincinnati, like... Honestly, even 2021 Michigan, right? Like, we had the resume, but the data told us that that was not a team that was going to be competitive with Georgia. And in fairness, maybe that's not the standard because no one was going to be competitive with Georgia. Yeah, that was the Georgia. downside of that playoff was I went back and looked, actually, and Michigan was number four and Cincinnati was number five and SP+. Plus. So, like, any, any further down you would go, you would be getting into, like, even less, quote-unquote, best teams. But, but, like, who was two or three? I think Georgia and Bama were one and two. Okay. I don't remember who was three. That's a good question. It might have been been Ohio Ohio State. State. Yeah, it probably was. You know, you can think of them off the top of your head. All of these not best, but teams that ran the table or did what they were asked. And were deserving and And therefore got a spot. I mean, Washington this year. Washington is a significant underdog to Texas and would be a double-digit underdog, according to most of the projections I've seen, against Michigan, Bama, or Georgia. So if that were really the metric, why isn't Georgia in ahead of Washington? Right. I mean, in they the earned very... it, right? They went thirteen and zero. They earned it, and we said they should get in. Florida State did the exact same thing, and they got fucked because the committee didn't want to leave the SEC out. Is ultimately what it came down to. Right. I mean, I recall in the very, very first college football playoff, I was in law school at the time, and I have a, a good friend from law school who is a Florida State fan, and I'm sure he's 
thrilled He's right probably now. having a bad time. Um, but I remember getting into it with them because at the time, right, it's the first college football playoff, right? It's the very first. We don't have precedent, right? right. And I understand the mandate to be four best teams because that's what they keep telling me. Right, that's what they've always said. That's what they've always said. They've never actually done it. But th- that's what they've always said. And I remember getting into it with him like before class started or whatever because I was like, Florida State should get left out. It was an undefeated Florida State. Yeah, that was that very shaky Florida State team, though. That the, they, the they won the title the year before yes. right, with Jameis. And yes. then the next year, they just kind of like sleepwalked through the whole schedule, right? Correct. I remember saying that they should get left out. I said, they're not one of the four best teams. I get that they're undefeated, but they're not actually one of the four best teams. And that was the year, if I recall correctly, that TCU and Baylor both got left out in favor of Ohio State, right? Who was the four and won the title. Like I said, either one of those teams should be in ahead of Florida State. I think they're better than Florida State. And of course, that's not what happened. They put in Florida State, who immediately lost, right? right? They got wrecked by Oregon. But... I remember being like, this is not one of the best teams. And from that moment, I understood best was not part, really part of the mandate. Right. The reality was they were going to look at what happened on the field and they were going to pick the teams that earned it until they didn't. Yep. Until, right? <laughs> until 2023. Until now. <laughs> and part of me feels like I'd be very curious to find out whether they would have handled it differently if expansion weren't coming in exactly a year. Because part of me wonders if like what they did was they said, ah, fuck it. Like, it's not going to be an issue next year anyway. Yeah, we're... you set a terrible precedent, is I think what you're trying to say, right? It's an and awful if precedent. If there were a 14 playoff going forward, I mean, you've basically, you've set the precedent that being an undefeated Power 5 champion doesn't actually matter. We're going to start going eyeball test. And that's a pretty shitty spot to be in. But next year it doesn't matter because you've got 12 teams and you're still gonna have to make those decisions and the the power five champions are getting auto bids correct right so it doesn't really matter right it never matters again at least until you're getting down to the you know 10 11 12 seeds or however you're you know yeah penn state versus Ole miss for the whatever seed you know i'd be curious if we were maintaining the 14 playoff if they would have come to a different conclusion on this issue part of me says they were like fuck it you know like it's the last one who gives a shit Fuck it. Jay Norvell, that's who gives a shit. <laughs> Mike, Mike Norvell. Norvell. Yeah. Excuse Other me. Norvell. Other Norvell. Yeah. Mike Norvell. He gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah, I feel terrible for Florida State. I mean, Jordan they did Travis, everything they had to do. Jordan Travis, shit. right. They just got fucked. And Bama is the, uh, the beneficiary. So you want to talk about Bama? Yeah. They scare me. I mean, they're Bama. They're, kind of. The Kind of, right? I just... It's really Nick Saban that scares me. Like, I think if you replaced him with basically any other coach and said prep for Bama, I'd be like, okay, fine. Like, if Lane Kiffin was on the sideline or some shit. But something about Saban with a month feels deeply diabolical, you know? He does have six national titles, right? Right. He's he's the greatest living football coach, right? He's the GOAT of college football. I don't think it can really be argued at this point. Right. I mean, it's him or Bear Bryant. He's the greatest living, right? And I just think the landscape is so different now. And he's had to do it in the playoff era where you've had to win multiple games at the end. Like, I just, Saban's I, the I don't goal. think it's even, yeah. 100%. To me, it's not really yeah. a dispute anymore. But I, I guess the reason I said kind of is that this isn't really usual Bama, the way we've talked about Bama playoff teams of past. I think people are making a lot of the kind of snap judgments based on history, for one, and the Georgia game, which is the most recent. There's some recency bias baked in there. But in the week before that, Bama needed the Hail Mary to beat Auburn, right? That's a terrible Auburn team. 
and they needed the fourth and goal thir from the 31 Hail Mary to pull that out, or we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And on top of that, it's not like they had the one bad game where it's like, oh, okay, but they, you know, that happens, especially in that game. They were shaky for over a third of the season. They were shaky for most of the season. Yeah. I mean, they looked, they were really struggling in September. That USF game was one of the Yeah, we mocked them the relentlessly, <laughs> and this feels like my comeuppance. <laughs> it really does. I, I mocked mean, them so relentlessly for that USF game. I think a lot of people did, because they looked terrible. I mean, they were objectively bad at they that They couldn't point block the anyone. Right. I remember Bill Connolly saying if you ran SP Plus just off of in-season, if you dropped out the preseason uh, projections, basically, which are still in the normal formula up until, like, November, basically, that Bama at that point after, I think at the end of September, was not a top 25 team based on on-the-field performance. They were really in rough shape. That obviously got better, right? <laughs> got a lot better. But even at midseason, I mean, they beat an even worse Arkansas team by three at home. They beat A&M by six. Like, this team is not unbeatable. They've been very shaky for most of the year. And, again, I think they're getting a lot of credit for mostly the Georgia game. And maybe fairly so. Right? They put it together at just the right time, and now they've right. got the I mean, the no one's prepare. knocked off Georgia since 2020. 2021. 21. Bama beat them they, in the SEC I, I championship game. I guess they did it. Okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, I... Uh, no one else. <laughs> right. So I went back, actually, I was curious about kind of how this team stacks up with other previous Bama teams. So I was looking at as close to end-of-year SP Plus rankings from previous seasons as I could find. And every other time Bama has made the playoff, they've been either first overall, often by a significant margin, or second overall, with the one exception being 2021 when they were third and played Cincinnati. So this is, I think, just a much different situation and that this is going to be the first time Bama's ever been in this situation, in the playoff, as not a prohibitive favorite in their opening game. So I just, I just want to lay that context out there that it is Bama, but it's also like not really what Bama has generally been when they've been in the playoff. And I think that's why you see the line for this game at, I think last I checked was Michigan minus one and a half or somewhere right around there. I've seen minus one, minus two, but generally settled around Michigan by one and a half points. And it really hasn't moved, despite apparently the vast majority of the money still coming in on Bama as a one and a half point underdog. And I think that's because when that line was set at minus two or whatever it was when it opened, I think that already baked in a lot of like deference to Saban and to Bama and to what they've done in their history in the playoff. Because really, all the comparable rating systems, if you look at SP+, if you look at FEI, some of them don't do true point spreads, but you can kind of imply it based off of their ratings. And all of those kind of systems that are similar to what Vegas uses, obviously, have this at Michigan as like a 7, 8, 9 point favorite. So really, if you were going off of just the numbers, it'd be a much larger line. And I think that, you know, again, the history and the Georgia game and the way Bama played in it that has pulled it back to what it already is. And that's why you're seeing it not really move at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a Bama team that a year from now is going to be the prohibitive favorite to win the national title again. Like a little bit of Milrow stepping into it. They've got a lot of young guys. They feel a lot like 2019 Bama, right? Who we drew in our bowl game that was very winnable, if not for kind of a very, very bad performance from Shea Patterson. Correct. 
they feel more like that. And then 2020 Bama was a death star. One of the best right. teams of the, you know, college football playoff era to play in it period up Correct. there with 2021 Georgia and, you know, in 2022 Georgia, et cetera. So it, it, it kind of feels like they're a year away from being at that level again. Like it's right. like Milrow, I think is going to be probably the Heisman favorite a year from now. Right. I mean, he'll, he might've won it already given, you know, the time of it's, Two weeks right, after yeah, the ceremony. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. But like, yeah, I it think that's feels right. like they're a year away from being the really scary, fully weaponized version of themselves. And that's not to say they can't play like the team they will be one year from now, but they have not consistently been that team so far this oh, year. Well, right. And that's the difference, right? Is that they still have all the talent of what Bama has, but some of it's young, some of it is has not really developed the way that you normally have at Bama. Maybe some of that is, you know, guys they've lost to transfers through the portal and things like that. Maybe it's a just a, a different time to try to build a team the same way they had, like, 2020 and, and previously. But I think that's right. I mean, this is just not quite your usual Bama juggernaut. And when you start thinking about, like, matchups, then we'll get into this a little bit. There is a month off, right? And you, I think one of the first things you mentioned about this game was I really do not want to play Nick Saban, Alabama, with them having a month to prepare. And that's fair. But again, all those games previously when they've had that opportunity, Bama's been the better team, and they've proved it on the field. This is a different situation where Michigan is on paper by all metrics that, as far as I know, exist, <laughs> is the better team. And also, I think it's going to make a huge difference for Michigan here to be able to get healthy. I mean, J.J. was obviously well below 100% from at least the Penn State game onward. Apparently, he said that he had some sort of injury in the Minnesota game and then had another leg injury on top of that against Penn State. I think we remember that play where he got tackled from behind and got up limping and didn't really look the same the rest of the year. But J.J. getting healthy, certainly. Drake Nugent, I mean, we watched the Iowa game, and... I'm surprised he played because he could barely move. He looked like he was 90 years old. He was obviously not anywhere close to like normal playing condition. And no. I think he wouldn't have played if it had been someone other than Iowa where Michigan's entire purpose was don't make a critical mistake. Right. It's... No bad snaps, nothing weird that Iowa can leverage to turn this into an Iowa bullshit game. And they were willing to sacrifice performance on the line for the benefit of having the guy they felt most comfortable with just snapping the ball and not making a critical mistake. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who I heard do an interview. I was listening to some player interviews with Sam Webb. There have been a few over the last couple of weeks. I listened to Corum and I listened to Sainer still, and I, I can't remember who it was, but I recall one of them said like, yeah, we did not know if he was going to go like basically until early that day. We, yeah. we had no idea because it didn't really look like he should have, to be honest. So no, <laughs> that, I mean, there was, sense. there was one play in that game. I can't remember what it was, but it was a play that would have worked if not for two missed blocks. One was Loveland and the other was Nugent's. And Nugent's was literally like he could not reach the guy he was supposed to block. He couldn't move. Well, the other thing was two of JJ's sacks, I specifically remember, is he's scrambling around trying to you know find a lane. He's doing his JJ thing, right? And on two of them, a guy just runs past Nugent and gets into the backfield and is able to kind of blow JJ up where I think he thinks he has a lane. Like, I can get around this guy and make something happen. But again, Nuja just can't move to do anything with that guy. As soon as you try to get around him, he had no no option to pursue you or to, to do anything about it, basically. So 
I think that's going to make a big difference on the interior, especially with not having Zinter. They really need the other guys healthy. They need everybody to get some time to gel too in their new sure. like positions, right? Like when they move yeah, it's Barnhart, be Barnhart inside, to the interior. As as yeah, yeah, and then on defense too. I mean Jenkins, he mentioned after the uh, after the Iowa game that he'd been playing through something for a few weeks with sub 100 percent, and Will Johnson. I mean. He didn't play at all against Iowa, well, for obvious reasons, but yeah, <laughs> obviously missed the most of the second half of the Ohio State game. And I mean, you're just going to need those guys if, like, if this is going to be a national championship team, you can't have critical guys playing at sixty percent or or less in Nugent's case. So I do think in this situation, Michigan probably benefits more from the month off than Bama does. I'd much rather have all those guys fully healthy then I would have whatever, you know, Nick Saban versus Jim Harbaugh month of preparation advantage gives you. I suppose. I guess I just don't know how injured Bama is. I mean, if they're relatively unhealthy too, right, I, you know, that yeah, might be a The only guy wash. I knew of was Kool-Aid McKinstry. Was, uh, I think he had a concussion in either the Auburn game or the SEC championship. I can't remember. But he had missed some time right at the end of the year. But, I mean, concussion protocol, you kind of knew he was going to be back. Like, that doesn't keep guys out for a month. So, that was the only guy I'm aware of who had missed significant time for them at the end of the year. But I'm sure there are some other guys for them or who are, you know, probably needing to get healthy as well. So, yeah, well, yeah. hard to say for sure. That was part of the reason that we preferred Bama to Georgia because, you know, I, I could imagine someone saying, how can you say you prefer Bama to Georgia? Bama just beat Georgia. Aren't they by default scarier? And my answer to that question is no. No for a lot of reasons but specifically georgia was pretty fucking hobbled too right like brock bowers is playing with like a brand new surgically replaced leg or whatever Correct. the fuck surgically replaced like it's bionic <laughs> but no like they had just performed be, honestly, yeah, the they, boston dynamics robot ass tight end out there like they had just performed surgery on his leg he had some sort of like mesh or something in his like he said he could feel when he moved which is super bizarre Sounds um, unpleasant, to be honest. No, it sounds terrible. And Lad McConkey was also pretty banged up for them in the in the SEC championship game, and so one of their other receivers too had missed either the SEC SEC championship game or the Auburn game. Robert Thomas was one of their other starting receivers. Yeah, like, I just was not persuaded that the version of Georgia that we saw against Alabama would be the version of Georgia that showed up to the playoffs. Should they have gotten in, I thought it would be a better, healthier version that was more akin to the Georgia we saw dismantling people earlier this season. And so I said, even even though Bama has knocked off Georgia, I think I would still take Bama here. Well, and obviously, I mean, the outcome of one game doesn't necessarily dictate that this team is now better than the team they just beat. Like, especially in college sports, there's a huge level of variance in terms of game to game. Yeah, we were all around for Michigan, Michigan State 2021. <laughs> exactly. Right. We know. Right. When Michigan loses and then three days later, the college football playoff committee is like, no, Michigan's still better. We, we, we are not taking the results of this game seriously. And that's very funny for a lot of reasons, but specifically because they do typically take into account head to head like they were not going to let Bama jump Texas. They do this, right? Where they like, they're like, no, your ceiling is that they were not going to let Ohio State jump Michigan. Like, right. your ceiling is that the team who beat you has to be in front of you, except Michigan State. They were like, no. Nah. The, one, the one example, which Very is great funny. for us. One yeah. million out of 10. No notes. <laughs> Thank you, committee. I have other criticisms, but that's not one of them. That is definitely true. So, yeah, I still would have been more scared of Georgia. Like, that was the team I, I thought, if Michigan wasn't the best team in the country, Georgia was the best team in the country. And I think having them out of the field is still beneficial, even if, like we were saying before, you get the 
probably worst first round matchup out of the ones you could have gotten had the results of conference championship weekend gone differently. Yeah, I was pretty afraid of Oregon as well. I really wanted them out of the field. I was really Agreed. hard for Washington. And then in hindsight, you know, once Washington does it again pretty impressively by knocking off Oregon for the second time this season, I said to myself, maybe Oregon was getting a little too much credit for beating up on a lot of the not-so-good teams in the Pac-12. I guess I don't really know. But then again, like, Washington was just, you know, tiptoeing their way through right, the, they were, that yeah, same The whole second half of, of the year, right? We were saying they were dancing through the raindrops. Like, you're getting a pick six late in the first, fourth quarter to beat Arizona State, who's terrible. And, you know, you're kind of squeaking past, like, sure, Oregon State's a good team. And, you know, Washington State's okay. They didn't end up making a bowl game, but Cam Ward's a decent quarterback. But, again, you have a a last-minute drive that you put together to go down and kick a walk-off field goal. Like, you're watching these games, and it's like, uh, Washington's winning, but... And Oregon, uh, meanwhile, is looking... Oregon's winning, like, 56-7 to seven every week, where you're yeah. like, okay, that <laughs> that looks scarier. Yeah, maybe so, not. Who knows, I suppose, but... I think our general take, though, was that it worked out pretty favorably for Michigan. I mean, I think the... Agree. Um, I got to pull up the rankings here, but I had a tweet right after the uh, the field came out that basically about the um, the SP plus rankings of the teams in the field and how it kind of shook out relative to what it usually does where you you know you'll have something like number one number two number four and number six or, or whatever and this year it's number one Michigan number seven Texas number eight Bama and number 11 Washington so when you're the number one and that's the field in front of you it's it's all on the table Right? Yeah, that's a pretty... Like, Bama could still win it all, and Texas could win it. Like, not to say that they're not good teams and they're not capable of winning this playoff, but, again, that's a pretty favorable draw on the whole. But totally. just back to Bama, I guess. The big questions for me in terms of, like, matchups or what I'm most interested in about this game are, number one, Jalen Milrow. He's pretty erratic still as a passer, but... He kind of reminds me of like young Michael Vick or young Vince Young when he's on. Just his mobility and the way he can create and the way that he can punish people with the deep ball when they're trying to like come up and take away what he does with his legs. He's very dangerous. He's <laughs> dangerous to some extent in both ways. Like he'll make some terrible throws, but he can really punish you if you are undisciplined on defense. Is this offensive? I'm going to say something that's maybe offensive to Jalen Milrow is he like super Talia Tagovailoa just better kind of like his arm is better a much better runner he's a much better runner but he has the ability to kind of explode in all directions in the same way I think mostly attributable to youth right Talia is well, a right. sixth year fucking player that's the difference is Talia has been th that same guy for like four years right. where it's like this just is what Tagovailoa is where sure it's Milrow's sophomore year I believe yeah I mean and but his first year as a starter right first year getting real playing time so it kind of makes sense that he would have some growing pains and then you know next year you kind of figure out okay what is this guy really right I'm not saying he's gonna ceiling at yeah. Talia Tagovailoa but right now he's got a little that. bit of that but right him. now yeah. it feels like he's super Talia Tagovailoa right I think that's fair is that offensive am I totally wrong on this you can tell me that that's idiotic it's okay if it's idiotic, no I think as a passer that's a pretty fair assessment just a, I mean, a better runner better athlete. when we played Maryland he was fucking dropping them in a basket but then he was throwing like an awful making like an awful decision or right. two or like throwing an awful ball or two and so there's like a little bit of that I don't know yeah no I think that's fair and then I guess the other big matchup for me is Michigan's passing game against 
Alabama's, like, not just their secondary, but, I mean, they have a very good, maybe elite edge rusher in Dallas Turner, another pretty good one in Chris Braswell, and the secondary is maybe the best in the country. I mean, they've got probably the best corner, like, they might have the two best corners in the country in Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold. Both those guys are probably going top 20-ish in the draft. So they kind of remind me a little bit of Penn State defensively in that it's pretty tough to make like to make a living in the passing game between their secondary and their edge guys. But their interior is also pretty movable. They don't have their usual like planet-sized nose tackle and their like non-edge rushing linebackers, their inside linebackers are kind of just guys by Bama standards. And so that's why you saw against like pretty much every I shouldn't even say decent but like most of the competent teams on their schedule were able to run the ball pretty effectively and that was especially true for both Auburn and Arkansas and the key kind of similarity there is that both teams pretty heavily involved the, the quarterback in the run game for Arkansas's KJ Jefferson for Alabama was mostly Peyton Thorne JJ is certainly Pey- a better runner than Peyton Thorne good old Peyton Thorne <laughs> yeah that's going to be really interesting I think is that's Bama's soft spot on defense, and Michigan is perfectly happy to play that game if they can grind out four or five yards of carry. Also, linebackers in coverage. Linebackers in coverage to some extent, sure. Like, Colston Loveland could be a problem if we u- utilize him correctly. I mean, even Nick Saban was like, he's Brock Bauer's light. Yeah, I mean, they might just put safeties on him as much as they can, try to play it straight-up man and say, we don't think your receivers can take our corners one-on-one. We're not worried about it. And if you hit, you know, one They're probably shot, right, right about that. They probably are. I, I mean, don't know that I don't know that Roman Wilson is – like, Roman Wilson is fast, but he mostly depends on being fast. Right. And I don't think he's faster than Kool-Aid McKinstry or – Yeah, I mean, he might be straight line, but, like, can you actually consistently get separation? Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I, and that's kind of, I guess, what I'm looking at or thinking about is – you can play it straight up, and you can, if you're Nick Saban, probably commit an extra guy to the box. I think they probably will. And then at that point, it's, for Michigan, what can you slash are you willing to do with J.J.? Because we've seen teams be able to punish that. Teams with way worse passing games than Michigan. I mean, Auburn had a horrific passing offense, but they ran for like 230 yards against Bama because they just they were motioning a lot. They were using the quarterback. They were getting guys out of their lanes. It's, it was the Jim Harbaugh playbook, basically. So what can you do with J.J.? What can you do to take advantage of that in the run game? And then what can you do to take advantage of that in the passing game? I mean, you, you mentioned Loveland, Donovan Edwards. You know, Michigan's still going to have some opportunities where there are guys for Alabama covering Michigan receiving options <laughs> where the receiver is probably going to have some sort of physical mismatch there. But how much can Michigan do to design around that and really make that stuff pay off? And if you're passing, does the pass pro hold up long enough for JJ right. to see it? Because, I mean, we all acknowledge that that was an issue against Penn State, right? Yeah. You know, the, the tackles first... have not been, especially in protection, the tackles have been a little shaky. Maybe that gets better with Trent A. Jones in for Barnhart. Maybe not. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting matchup here, other than, you know, on the other side of the ball, I mentioned Milrow and just what he can be versus how Michigan tries to contain him, tries to take away what Bama can do in the like big play passing game, which is really where they make most of their money while, you know, still being able to to keep Milrow in the pocket and not, you know, scrambling for 10, 15 yards regularly and being able to move the ball that way. 
anyway, just as it relates to Michigan on, on offense, we're talking about Loveland and Edwards, and we haven't really seen them use Donovan Edwards all that much in that way. This His, would be probably an ideal time for that. The <laughs> use of Donovan Edwards is like this season is going to haunt me. I just feel like it's bad. I, I, I don't. If they win it all, nothing will haunt me ever. No, <laughs> I mean, correct. But if they don't, I'm going to be thinking all the time about the like misuse of Donovan Edwards. Like, you know, that like that meme where it's like he's probably thinking about other girls, yep. except I'm going to be the man. And it's going to be like the thing I'm thinking about is the misuse of Donovan Edwards in the 2023 college football playoff. Or yeah. 2024 college football playoff, I guess, whatever. Yeah, I guess we'll see what they can drop in a month. And and maybe it's maybe it's not really anything. I mean, maybe it's just that in this offense, Donovan Edwards doesn't really have a role that logically fits with the, in the structure of what they want to do. You know what I mean? Like, he probably is ideally a guy who's like Percy Harvin, like an H-back slot receiver kind of guy. And Michigan just doesn't – they're not designed that way offensively. They've tried to get him going in the running game, right? And that hasn't really worked for a combination of reasons. Some – like terrible blocking luck some defenses overplaying the run some him like seemingly stepping back in terms of his vision but yeah I mean that's that's a guy who if you can get him out there you can get Loveland out there like they have matchups that I think are advantageous and between JJ and the run game and trying to move the ball or trying to kind of stay ahead of the sticks and then paying it off with the passing game that to me is the path for Michigan to do what it needs to do offensively. I don't think they can just drop back and throw 30 times and really have meaningful success there. And I don't think you can turn this into a Big Ten West Rock fight either, like they did against Penn State. No. I've compared Bama's defense to Penn State, but they also have a functional offense with a pretty talented quarterback. And, I mean, I guess Drew Aller's talented, but <laughs> he wasn't good really at any point this year, and Milrow certainly has been. So you're going to have to actually score points in this game. You can't just... What was the final score of that Penn State game? I honestly don't 17 even remember. 17 to 9 or something. Like, I've, yeah, blacked out at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. Even yeah, I, that's I don't think you can win like that. technically correct, it's spiritually correct. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think Michigan can win that game or win this game like that. So they're going to have to figure out how to make some things pay off in the passing game. And I think they have things that can work, but can they put it all together cohesively and, and execute? against Nick Saban and Bama. Yeah, our guys need out. to not have the drops, too. There were a lot of drops against Iowa. That was one of the things that made that one frustrating, or made it, like when I said it wasn't a crisp game, that was a lot of it, was you had two critical Loveland drops on third down. Loveland, who almost never drops right. balls, yeah. And then you had an A.J. Barner one near the goal line where they settle for a field goal. Like, that could have easily been, you know, 40 to nothing in the second half, and it's like, okay, this feels a lot different than it's 20 to nothing, and <laughs> we're kind of just trying to, like, suffocate the the air out of this game and get out of here but yeah certainly have to be sharper in all regards against um against bama and i I guess just one more point i was going to make i mentioned this about bama's overall sp plus ratings in the years they've won the title i saw a tidbit that in those same years in their national title years under saban their rush defense has been ranked nationally in terms of yards per game allowed number two number one number one number one number one and then number 17 in the 2020 year, the COVID year, where they had one of the best college football offenses of all time. So their defense could just be, you know, pretty good. And that was more than enough. This year, they're ranked 31st against the run. So it's just another, I think, example of how this Bama team is not quite what you think of with Bama. And I do think Michigan 
should be able to have some success running the ball. I just don't think they're going to be able to, you know, fully bleed the game out that way, and they're going to have to, you know, have some things that they are are mixing in and hitting enough in the air to actually score some points. Yeah, for sure. Any other concerns, I guess? Anything else you've been thinking about with uh, with regards to Bama? They're haunting my nightmares. What do you mean? I think <laughs> about this all the time. I meant like anything more specific, I guess. No, just that I'm going to be like sitting in the Rose Bowl ready to absolutely keel over and die the whole time. Because like we went to the Orange Bowl in 2021, right? And we were like, whatever. Like when we went into this game, we were like, none of this matters, right? Like we've beaten Ohio State. We've won the Big Ten for the first time since I was fucking 14 years old or whatever, 12 years old. And I, it didn't matter, right? The, the the Orange Bowl, We no one was under any delusions that we were going to win the Orange Bowl. I no, tried, they were never going to beat that Georgia team. I you tried, did try to, to delude myself into believing that we were going to win that Orange Bowl, and I just, it literally was not doable. I was like, Georgia ain't played nobody. Matt was like, Serena, shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I did try, but no, like... You were Come like, on. no, we do want Georgia. This is going to be it. And I'm like, we don't want Georgia. I we're not going to beat Georgia. I didn't say we wanted them. But once we got them, I was like, we're going to, we, we can do this. I, I wanted Cincinnati. Let's be well, serious. Right. Yeah. But like, this is very different, obviously, right? Like we're the one seed, right? Like it's and we're just... favorite. I mean, in that game, Michigan was the two and Georgia was the three, right? Because they had just lost to Bama. So they got knocked down. But Bama was still like, I think a double digit favorite. Like nine, 10 points, somewhere in that range. And I mean, we like anybody who watched anybody who knows ball and watched Georgia that year and watched Michigan that year was like, this is not going to go well for Michigan. Like, realistically, this team is just not there yet. No. And then last year, I mean, it was kind of the flip side where we were like, we got to beat this TCU. It was all, all the pressure was on Michigan. And this one is really different from either of those two. Right. Because it's Bama and they seem to be like the public, quote unquote, favorite. Michigan's the slight Vegas favorite, but it's not a game Michigan can't win, and it's not a game where it's like uh, if you don't win, you just you missed a golden opportunity. Like kind of, I guess, with the overall shape of the playoff field. But this is the first playoff game where Michigan's been in it, and it's like I don't know. It feels like <laughs> Michigan definitely can win, and Alabama definitely can win. Uh, yeah, a different mentality in that regard. It is, it is. But I'm gonna be shitting bricks in the Rose Bowl, and <laughs> oh, you know, whatever, a little under two weeks. So that's going to be fun. The only other thing I was going to mention, I guess, concern-wise, I mentioned Milrow and kind of what he can open up. I do think that's a concern, is them just hitting a few deep shots because of the time he buys and what it creates, and you know you get guys on double moves, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think Bama's O-line is still kind of shaky. Another part of the team that's definitely gotten better over the course of the year, but it's not a strength. And they also don't have the usual, like, elite skill position guys. There's no Devonta Smith, Najee Harris. Jameson you know, Williams. Jameson Williams, right. They just don't have that guy on this team. They have good players. And Jermaine Burton, transfer from Georgia, he's been really their number one guy for most of the year. And then Isaiah Bond is, is having a, a good season as well. But their receivers, to me, feel like maybe slightly better versions of what Michigan has. Which is to say, like, good but not game changers. And then the same at running back. Good, not first-team All-SEC, you know, first-round draft pick caliber guys. Like, I mean, even last year, Jameer Gibbs, right, was not necessarily Najee Harris, and he still went mid-first round of the draft, right? And we're like, what, <laughs> what the fuck? So Yeah, part of that might be just the Lions' 
strangeness, but <laughs> sure. Well, no, I mean, apparently there were articles that came out after that that there was at least one other team that I think was going to take him 15th if the Lions hadn't taken him at 12 or whatever they did. So there were more people interested in him than I think we uh, we expected. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. My point is that the Bama offense as a whole, I talked about the defense and how it's got some softness. And the offense is kind of the same way. I mean, they are 13th in SP plus and 21st in FEI on offense. And for comparison, Michigan is 9th and 5th. So for all the the articles you're seeing out there about how like oh, Michigan's not going to be able to move the ball against Bama, I mean, maybe that's true. But <laughs> the numbers say that, if anything, the mismatch is on the other side. So Right. Don't go assuming that Bama's going to be able to move the ball on Michigan either, necessarily, right? Right. I expect it to be more like fits and starts. Like, there's some clunkiness, and then occasionally Jalen Milrose getting out of the pocket and running for 23 yards or hitting a you know 40-yard deep ball, and it's like, well, that's really frustrating. But in between, you've got to just – I think Michigan can just be Michigan and should be able to hold up pretty well on like a down-to-down basis defensively. Yeah, I'll be very curious. I guess here's – it's not a concern per se, but something that I'm a little bit curious about is – one of the things that Michigan's defense has really succeeded at is confusing young quarterbacks. Yeah. Right? I mean... They play a lot of really complex zone... I mean, they don't often care enough to do it like during the season except against teams that they really care about beating, mostly Ohio State. But against Ohio State, you can see it like, oh, they've got the whole package of NFL shit that they're throwing out there. And sometimes even getting to C.J. Stroud over the last two years or certainly Kyle McCord this year. Yeah, I mean... Marvin Harrison Jr. said it after the game. He said something like, I have never seen yep. what they were throwing at me in terms of coverages in this game. He, he, he was just like, I've just never seen it before. I've never seen anything like it. Yep. And they played Georgia last year. Correct. Right? Yep. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. played in a game against Georgia last year, right? So I think Jesse Minter is going to create opportunities for Jalen Milrow to make mistakes. Yeah. Right. I just think he's going to and and they do this, this like trap coverage stuff, this stuff where Rod Moore jumps a route or where you think it's cover two, but it's not or whatever the fuck they do. Right. Right. All of this, all of this stuff that, you know, creates Mikey Sainer still picks and Rod Moore picks and Will Johnson picks. Right. Those things are going to come. For sure. Um, I'm very curious about how Milrow handles them, because it seems like I don't know if this is true or not true, but those coverages are so varied and complex. I'm not sure it'll be easy for anybody to replicate them in scout team. There are I mean, a lot to learn. If anybody can do it, Nick Saban can. If but... anyone can, but the players, I mean, the players have to be able to execute it, right? In yeah, order for you to be able to practice against it effectively. I'm sure Nick Saban understands the coverages. He's Nick fucking Saban. Yeah, I mean, he runs as complex of coverages as anybody, or at least when he wants to. Yeah. So I don't think Bam will necessarily have a hard time like replicating that, but still seeing it in live action is just a different, it's a different animal Yeah. for a guy who hasn't played a ton of games. So yeah, it will be, that will be interesting. Um, I was going to actually bring up the, the Bruce Feldman article that was making the rounds yesterday. Please. <laughs> he did one that was anonymous coaches from the big 10 talking about Michigan. And then he did one that was anonymous coaches from the sec talking about Bama. And obviously we have you know a slightly more nuanced view of Michigan, but it was it was mostly just a bunch of salty ass dudes talking about how Michigan isn't actually good and well, it must have been the signs because quote unquote 
they've been different since the Stallions thing, despite the fact that in the interim, Michigan's beaten Penn State, Ohio State, and Iowa, all top 15 teams at the time of the game, and not only one, but covered against all of them. And then we're getting Colston Loveland can't block at all, which, like, that's, that's certainly a take. The other one that I enjoyed was you watch them try to run the ball, and Indiana stuffed them. Like, we were at that Indiana game, and it was clunky briefly, and then it was not at all. I believe the final was 52-7, to seven, and that was with Jack Tuttle playing more than the entire fourth quarter. Like, I need these people <laughs> to be so fucking serious. Some of these quotes seem like they were obviously coming from either Manny Diaz or some other Penn State quote-unquote defensive assistant. New Penn State defensive coordinator Tom, Tom. <laughs> Allen getting high on his own fucking supply. I'm, like, again, be serious. It was just, it was kind of surprising, like, the amount of non-ball knowing or just like complete bullshit that some of these coaches were throwing out it didn't (laughs) it didn't really bode well for some of these big 10 coaching staffs i'll put it that way anyway michigan is bad they're not really that good also none of us have beaten them in two years well that's the other thing right bro (laughs) take a look in the mirror like what an outrageous self-own they're not good oh then where are your wins huh and none of us can beat them ever (laughs) show me your dubs against this not good team then you you should have a rack of dubs that for me to look at because this team's not good oh you don't weird like shut up you should be doing less bitching to bruce feldman and pete thamel and more introspection about why you can't beat this team that supposedly is not even close to like Bama's level. Right. Think about that for for like five seconds. Like the call is coming from inside the house. Like, like, come on. On a related note, Vegas still has Michigan as the betting favorite to win the national title at plus 190, just a little bit ahead of Bama. I'm going to scream into the abyss. So, somebody out there thinks Michigan is actually pretty good. May not be Big Ten assistants, but... People who have a lot of money at stake think Michigan's pretty fucking good. So I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I wanted to say one more thing about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little hop onto my soapbox for oh, yeah, here we go. just a second. No, this is kind of a sentimental soapbox, right? So we talked about the playoff field, and we, we talked a lot about a Florida State and what happened to them and how, you know, they, in our view, were pretty unjustly left out of this playoff. And I want to say that that should be the reminder that we all need that even this playoff is bullshit and we shouldn't let whether or not we win it diminish how we feel about this season, right? Like there's a certain inclination and especially sitting where Michigan sits now to be like natty or bust. I mean, we framed it that way at the beginning, at the outset, we had that conversation of our season. season, right? We said, is it natty or bust? Like, do we actually feel that way? And the like artificiality of the matchup that the, that the committee created, the fact that, you know, Florida state ran all the way through their comp, their conference, accomplished everything that was to be accomplished went out of their way they scheduled two sec teams right they always play florida they played lsu out of conference they did everything right and at the end of the day a whole bunch of assholes in suits 
were able to take that accomplishment and diminish it because we gave them the power to diminish it. And we should we should reclaim that power, right? We shouldn't let a room full of suits decide how we feel about the seasons that we've had and the teams that we loved and rooted for all year long. And so I just, I thought it was really frustrating. I mean, I looked up these college football playoff committee members actually before this even <laughs> happened because of a ridiculous Danny Cannell tweet that said women shouldn't be allowed to be on the committee because they never played football. And so I went through, That's the good Danny Cannell stuff. Yeah, I went, I went through all of their resumes to see how many of the men who participate on the committee actually played football, and it was like half, right? There were a bunch of former coaches. Yeah, that was most. It of was the actually very knowers. funny because, like, I'm not I'm not making this about race, but I did notice that basically all of the black men who were on the committee were former players, um, and a lot of the white dudes are executives, right. um, and that's that's the committee, and a lot of them or athletic directors who aren't ever football coaches or have never They're been just administrators. They're just administrators, right? And. That group of administrators essentially creates your matchup, decides who's worthy. And when you when you cede that power to them, right, you give them the ability to like to shape the way that you feel about your season. And Florida State fans shouldn't feel worse about the season that they've had. They should be they should be mad. I'd I'd be full pitchforks if I was a Florida State fan like they should be very mad, but they, they you shouldn't let it diminish the way that you feel it just the way that they behaved exposes I think kind of just how fraudulent and how kind of manufactured this whole thing really is so like you should feel about your season the way that you want to feel about it and you should have pride in your team regardless of how this bullshit goes because it's never felt more like bullshit to me (laughs) do you know what I mean like it's just never felt more like bullshit it's like if you play the games and they don't matter because Alabama lost one and Florida State didn't lose any and, and Florida State's not the team that's sitting in here, and it's, it's bullshit. Like, n- none of this should matter, and we've given them the power to make it matter, and I know we all want to win a national championship. I'm dying to win a national championship. That would be great. But, man, we've ceded the power of, of like, how we should feel about our teams to, to allow it to be controlled and governed by a bunch of fucking idiots <laughs> who have agendas... And we, we really shouldn't do that, right? You should love this Michigan team and feel great about this Michigan team and should be all proud of this Michigan team and get your warm fuzzies when you think about this Michigan team, no matter what happens in, in the next two weeks. That, that's my soapbox. I wanted to say it. I thought it was important. Nothing that happens is going to change the way that I feel about Blake Corum and Mikey Samer still. That's right. And, and all of these guys, they're legends. Zach Center, J.J. McCarthy. Like, yes, all, this whole group has been what's turned Michigan around and allowed us to experience so much joy over the last three years. And, yeah, that should not be diminished by whatever happens against Alabama and or beyond. Right. It's funny. I was going to mention a sort of similar take, which is just that I mean, you've heard probably my hottest college football take is that we should just go back to the BCS. (laughs) And it's not like the computer rankings or the committee or any of that. It's really just that forever college football was just a regional sport. And if Michigan won the Big Ten, like there was a clear path. Like you play your schedule and you, you know, if you win all your games and you're Michigan, then you go to the Rose Bowl and whatever happens after that, like that's, that's just it. And now it's kind of this much more ambiguous, you know, playoff setting where you're worried about seeding and what the matchups are going to be and which bowl you get put into and all of that and there's just a lot more that's kind of outside of your control I know you say like you can win the game so it's within your control but 
it's just, uh, it, it's different for me as somebody who definitely came up in like my, you know, quote unquote formative college football years when the playoff didn't exist. It always used to be that the bowl game was kind of an exhibition. It was just a thing that happened at the end, but the season itself was what mattered. And now it feels a lot different in the sense that, I mean, for the most part, people care about the playoff games and what happens there. And the reality is that in sports, the more you expand the playoff or the more you make the playoff the, the thing that matters, the further away you get from actually deciding who was the most deserving team of that season. It's just who was the best in those last you know, two or three or whatever games. And that's why I think college football has always been so much different from the NFL in that regard. Like so much of the value of it is wrapped into the, the rivalries and what happens in the season. And then at the end, it's kind of, you know, sure, if you're playing in a national championship game, like it matters, but it's just taken on such a different dynamic that's only going to get more extreme in the future where, you know, you can go 10 and two and you're still going to get in the playoff if you're Michigan. Right. And all of a sudden the whole season just looks different. And once you get there, all that other stuff kind of goes out the window because now if you just win three games or four games, whatever, you can win the national championship and nobody remembers anything before that. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. And again, it just as you get further away from what college football has traditionally been and more toward the playoff being the thing that matters, it does kind of diminish things in some way. And I don't, I'm building on your point, which is that don't let it diminish it. And especially with this being the last year, and like I said, it further expansion is only going to make that like more further exacerbated, I guess. So enjoy this one and enjoy this team and what it is and don't take it for granted and don't put all of your, <laughs> all of your judgment about what this team accomplished on one game or two games in January. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And you see it, the contours of the sport are changing so much, right? I mean, we, please, I like legitimately cried actual tears at the photo of the fucking beaver. The Pac-12 mascots. Well, I cried at the Pac-12 mascots when they were all like dancing together at the end of the Pac-12 championship game. Like they brought all the mascots. I can't remember what, we are never ever getting back together. I think that's right. It was Taylor Swift, right? They're, They're playing, we are never ever getting back together and they're all dancing together. And then there was a picture after the civil war of the like duck and the, Oregon State the beaver. beaver like with their arms around each other's shoulders or whatever and I like legitimately cried at this photo I cried actual tears at this photo of mascots because it's such a sea change in the sport and there this the the whole weight of this sea change is to tell you that none of the things that mattered to you before should matter anymore all that should matter is this big playoff and the I'm, Super League that's coming and the the NFL style playoffs. I'm telling yeah. you to resist that urge. Yes. <laughs> all of it. I'm telling you to resist all of it. I want to win the national championship. I want to win it more than basically anything right now. But just don't let the way that they're pushing you cloud the way that you are made to feel about your team and your sport. And that's my soapbox. I maybe should have saved that for the end of the episode. No, it feels fine. like an end of the episode kind of. You said rant. it better than I did. <laughs> but I, I wanted to say it. It's been it's been weighing on me for the last couple of weeks. I don't know. Okay, so on that note, are there any other bowl games that you're like interested in slash excited about? Anything that's piqued your interest beyond the playoff, obviously. Well, yeah. So 
I'm obviously dying to see what the fuck Ohio State trots out onto the field for obvious reasons. They've got 16 players in the portal. Um, Fleming's already gone. Chip Trianum is gone. And McCord, McCord is, is gone. gone. <laughs> and they're very hilariously hyping up Devin Brown right now. Like, I watched him when he went into games instead of McCord, and the guy was legitimately unplayable. This has like, the same energy to me as Michigan State fans being like, Peyton Thorne's leaving because Kaden Hauser is the one. Like, uh, yeah, we saw Devin Brown, and it was, I mean, not just us, but, like, everybody watching, including Ohio State fans. If you want to go back and look at tweets from September, just punch that into the search box because you're going to have some fun. All of them were, this guy is not playable. How was this even a competition? This bodes terribly for Kyle McCord that this guy, they still feel like they need to be rotating this guy in the game. I mean, he was not good. (laughs) And, yeah, I think I just have a hard time believing that they are – I have a hard time believing that Ohio State fans are really believing this about Devin Brown. This feels more desperation than they're wish casting. Yeah, they're right. absolutely wish casting. Like, shut up. But it'll be interesting because Missouri's defense is not that good, and so he right. might have like a passable game that starts a Penn State like Devin Brown hype train. Um, so I'm very curious about that. I also have just like an absolute morbid curiosity at Tennessee versus Iowa. That is very just like you know we didn't get usc iowa i mean tennessee's defense lsu iowa i prayed to the heavens for lsu you could have given us those matchups tennessee's better defensively than those teams so it's not quite as yeah but it would have been very funny to be like i want to see because like in the big 10 in the big 10 there are very few absolutely horrific fucking defenses. There really aren't that many. It's a pretty good defensive league top to bottom, right? Even the teams that are bad in this league. It's not really the defense. It's the quarterback play. It's the quarterback play in the offense, right? Like Rutgers is not that good, but that defense will stuff you up. And Minnesota is not that good, but this defense is pretty good. And Nebraska is not good, but the defense is pretty good, right? Like that's the common thread of, I was dying to see what the Iowa offense looked like when the defensive backs are not within five yards of the receivers. I just, I really want, like, can they throw on that? Because if they can't throw on that, it's even funnier than I could possibly have imagined. And I'm not getting that matchup because Tennessee is better than those teams. But I I prayed to the, the heavens for LSU, Iowa. Like, can you imagine, like, just this matchup with Jaden Daniels. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, Jaden Daniels isn't playing anyway, as it turns out, for obvious reasons. But I know. that would have been, yeah, LSU or USC, like getting that offense against that I defense. I mean, USC, then, Iowa soon cometh. <laughs> that's true. That'll be a conference we are, we game are getting here that. shortly. But like, I would have loved to see it. But Tennessee is like a kind of a facsimile of that. It's not quite there. Like, Tennessee with Hendon Hooker would have been there. Yeah, their defense right. is better and their offense is worse this year, so it's not yeah, it's not quite as extreme in the like we're gonna reverse get to watch, Iowa sort of way. Is Joe Milton playing? I don't even know. I are we gonna so. are we gonna watch him throw a ball over the Himalayas? <laughs> I believe so. Uh, <laughs> because this is where are they even play is that the citrus bowl? Is he gonna throw it from Florida? That seems possible, honestly. Like you know, I, I think that one is pretty intriguing, um, just in general. I'm I, interested in that one. My most interesting one is for a totally different reason. I, I got to see the Pop Tart Bowl. They've got the edible mascot, and I have questions. Like, what, how the fuck do you make an edible mascot? What flavor is the Pop Tart? They say they keep they're keeping that under wraps. They won't put that out there. But the winning coach has to take a bite out of the edible mascot Pop Tart. So, 
I'm I'm very intrigued, even though this has nothing to do with football, really. It's whatever <laughs> whatever that is. I'm just deranged, that's all. No, I think that's normal, actually. Like, I think that's, I think that's fine. I think there's a lot of curiosity about this. Thinking it, about... Actual football game, Ohio State's interesting, but the other one for me was going to be probably Penn State Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. Which team is going to get the totally unwarranted top five spot in the, the preseason rankings next year based on a, a bowl performance that's you know, otherwise meaningless? The Penn State hype train has already left the fucking station. That's true. <laughs> you can't really stop the Penn State hype train. You can only hope to contain it. It's so ahead of schedule. I saw like a tweet that was making the rounds on Michigan Twitter, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen, but it was like hyping up Penn State. It was like they're going to have a five-star quarterback and a five-star running back. And, and a the five-star receiver, and Julian five Fleming. St- and like I'm like, my brother in Christ, at some point, like – the point of the stars is that they rate you on potential, right? Right. You're in high school and they're rating you on your potential. At some point you have to start rating people on whether or not that potential has been fucking materialized. <laughs> you don't just get to be like, he's a five star in perpetuity. Julie, Julian Fleming's a either fifth or sixth year senior. Next right. Year. He's a sixth year. Right. The fact that he was a five star at some distant point in the past at some point is no longer relevant. Right. He is what he is as a college player. Right. Like be serious right now. Stop it. Like you, you are a known commodity at this point and your star rating is, is not relevant to me anymore. No. Like, Sorry. Probably a good segue though, because we wanted to talk about some other off-seasony stuff, especially around the portal and what's going on okay, there. Did wait. you have another game? Yeah, okay. there are a couple more that I think might be a little interesting. This is so this is so Big Ten of me, but I do want to r- watch Rutgers versus Miami. Okay, I think that's I've got Rutgers in a bowl game. We love that for them, and it's not even the Quick Lane Bowl. Like they're not in Detroit; they're in the Bronx at the Pinstripe Bowl. That right? is. <laughs> like, isn't that great for them? They, they drew kind of a home crowd, right? Like, you're, you're just, and they're playing Miami, which is hilarious. <laughs> Correct. Like, this is very it's funny. It's going to be a fascinating fan amalgamation. Yeah, there at one the, million the out Yan- of ten. Yankee, Yankee Stadium, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Bronx. Yeah. So I, I like that one a lot, okay? I think that's intriguing. Obviously, it's a little less intriguing because we don't know what the opt-out situation is. But, of course, there's Florida State, Georgia in the Orange Bowl. Right, right. Yep. They, it's the Consolation Bowl out there in Miami. Um, that'll be an interesting one. I, I kind a lot of, of people... suspect Florida State is not going to have a lot of opt-outs. I, I kind of think their players are going to be like, it's going to be like a fuck you kind of thing, and they're all going to play, and they're going to try to win this game. I have I at least a couple. I've seen Jared Verse has already opted out. Okay. I'm not as sure on Georgia's side. Georgia's interesting because they don't have as many like high-end upperclassmen. They're kind of like Bama. Where it, I mean, you said Bama is probably preseason number one next year. Georgia is going to be right there with them because I think both of those teams are kind of, you know, kind of young, going to bring a lot of guys back next year and should be well positioned for, you know, another run as Georgia Bama. But yeah, that's an interesting game. Certainly. We we heard a lot of people saying like Florida state, if they win that game should claim a national title, no matter what happens in the playoff. And like, that's fine. I don't actually think they're going to win that game, but if they do without Jordan Travis, that would make things especially funny in the aftermath of all the the debate we talked about earlier. I do feel like it's Michigan's destiny to win the national championship only to have Florida State win their bowl game and for our rivals to still be able to make jokes that our last outright national title was before integration. (laughs) That feels spiritually correct. If that happens, I'm fine with that trade. If Michigan wins the actual national title and Florida State wants to claim one, fine. Done. 
handshake, <laughs> gavel, gavel, the end. <laughs> yeah. So LSU drew Wisconsin, which I don't really get because it feels like that Wisconsin team is not good at it's all. Not. That's a, yeah. And LSU is like a top 15 team, right? They're, they're still ranked 13th. Yeah. So that's one of those where it feels like there's a kind of a gap where it's like, why couldn't you give me Iowa then? Because Iowa's <laughs> the 17, Iowa, Tennessee is a 17, 21. Yeah. Like, why couldn't you give me 13, 17 in the citrus bowl? What the fuck? I don't know. You know, like, know. why are you doing this to me? It's torture. Um, so that's interesting. Oregon and Liberty is not that interesting. Uh, Oregon should win that game pretty decisively. That's our Fiesta Bowl. Assuming they care, which maybe they don't, but. That's our Fiesta Bowl. I don't know. Whatever. It's, it's playoff time. I'm <laughs> shitting bricks already. It's December 19th. We've got 12 whole days, 13 days, and I'm having a mental breakdown. Should we hit the other off-season stuff now? I mean, off-season I'm using kind of generally. The college football schedule is super, like, fucked up because right now we're basically in free agency. Like, imagine if the NFL had free agency between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. Like, that would obviously be totally absurd. And yet, <laughs> that's exactly where we are right now. Uh, from Michigan's point of view, it's it's really hard to know what they actually need given the number of guys who have another year available to them and might slash probably won't but could take it the big one of those is jj obviously but most of the offensive line a couple guys on defense junior colson both safeties like there's a lot of guys where it's like are we replacing them we don't know yet there are a couple guys though who are in the portal currently and we know michigan is like openly pursuing one of them is nickel upton stout from western kentucky he's one of the top rated corners in the portal and Presumably, he would be the replacement for Mikey Sainer still, who does not have any eligibility left. So he's gone no matter what. There's also linebacker Jayshon Barham from Maryland, who's been a pretty good starter for them for the past two years. And I've seen a few projections for him to Michigan. We'll see how that shakes out. But that would be a good pickup to replace Michael Barrett and maybe Junior Colson. He's one of those guys who's in the could come back, but you know probably won't category. Uh, and a couple receivers including Jamal Banks from Wake Forest and Chris Brazell from Tulane. I think these guys are interesting because I feel like Michigan has identified a distinct need, which is these are both six foot four, rangy, go get deep balls kind of guys. And that's something Michigan just hasn't had the last couple of years, right? It's been, the receivers are, are fine, but they're all of like the six foot, six foot one, various degrees of fast, various degrees of shiftiness. They're, they're all kind of in the same mold. We should have got Keon Coleman out we of the portal. Got Keon Coleman. <laughs> I'm being so serious. Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about, though, is like a team like Florida State has been able to really build a huge part of their offense around jump ball guys, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Like half of their passing game is just throw jump balls up the sideline and let those guys go get them. And Michigan just does not have a guy like that at all, and they haven't for a few years. Since Nico Collins, basically. Right. And I think that's something they've identified as we kind of need that if we're really going to maximize our offense. If we're going to have a guy who can stretch the field, not just with speed, but can be somebody you can throw a 50-50 ball to and let him make plays, those are the guys they're going after. They pursued Donovan McCulley from Indiana, who's very similar, six foot five. He decided to go back to Indiana, so he, he's out of the portal now. But Jamal Banks and Chris Brazell are very much the same player. So I'm really glad to see that they are at least like they've figured out that gap and are trying to address it in the portal regardless of how it shakes out yeah i think that's right 
Then there's Damani Jackson. No. 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 <laughs> You're not I interested? don't respect anybody who would willingly go play defense at USC. TikTok ass defense, TikTok ass football program, unserious football players. I stand by it. <laughs> I get that, but I'm not not interested. I mean, I think it's I think it says something that uh Sua Cravens, former USC safety, All-American safety there. He tweeted the other day that he'd had some conversations with Domani Jackson and that his impression is that it's going to be Bama or Michigan. And to me, that says, I recognize that I'm not being developed and I'm not going to hit my potential here. And I want to go do it somewhere where I'm going to get the best defensive coaching in the sport. Because there's like three or four options for that. And Bama and Michigan are both in that, that tier. So to me, that says like, I'm ready to take this seriously and be something. And the other thing I guess is that even if he like even if he is a bust, it feels like a pretty low risk to take for the potential reward. You know what I mean? Like, okay, he doesn't work out, and you've still got Amorian Walker and Jair, uh, Jair Hill from last year's recruiting class. Like, you've got other guys who, if they beat him out, great, fine. Doesn't really matter. But if he can hit that, t- like, I kind of feel like he's Miles Hinton from last year's class. Five-star guy, hadn't really developed on a team that had some pretty atrocious coaching on his side of the ball, but you can still see the promise there. And if he hits, you get a top five overall player from his class. And if he doesn't, who cares? You wasted a scholarship for a year or two. Yeah, that's probably... Scholarship limits are fake anyway. Well, right, Wasted yeah. a scholarship. <laughs> Correct. But, like, yeah, that's probably true. I just, like, if you go play defense at USC on purpose, I don't think you're serious. <laughs> and you're you're making a persuasive argument that perhaps he has decided to embrace being a serious football player. But I do think that, you know... One of the things that has made Michigan so successful in the last three years is a whole bunch of dudes who are like, we're fucking serious. Blake Corum's driving around to the gym at four o'clock in the morning at 16 years old because he's yeah. fucking serious. JJ McCarthy is fucking serious, right? Mikey Sainer still is fucking serious. That, like, you wonder about the cultural fit of a guy who was willing to be like, I'm going to go to TikTok program over there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I want to take five guys from USC, but I do think that if you can find a guy with that kind of talent and drop him into Michigan's locker room or next year, you're still going to have Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant and some combination of, you know, some of your edge guys, maybe Macari Page and Rod Moore, maybe Junior Colson. Like, you've still got a lot of those guys who have been part of that culture. I'd take him if Mikey or Mike Barrett was still going to be on the <laughs> roster. I'm being dead ass. Like, I just, like, someone's got to be them on the defense. Yeah. And it has to teach Domani Jackson to, like, you know, commit or get the fuck out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I trust those guys to do it. I don't know who the new Michael Barrett or Mikey Sandra still is going to be on that side of the ball. Like, who the vocal like through line of that defense is going to be at this point. I don't, I don't know. I guess the other thing is that you can kind of like, I'll put a lot of faith in the defensive coaching at this point to make that determination of like, is this guy serious about playing here? And if so, will we take him? Like maybe he ends up at Bama and we never really find out. I don't know. <laughs> Again, it feels like a, a pretty, uh, pretty minimal risk for what you no, might get No, you're right. He's a take. I'm just being a drama queen. <laughs> I'm just I'm just fucking stirring the pot right now. But <laughs> Well, that was kind of the conversation people were having too with Dante Moore, which I was going to talk a little bit about quarterback. That's 
probably the hardest position to know what to do with because it's just entirely dependent on what JJ ultimately decides to do, right? And he has not said anything. He said, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not making that decision. Nobody That's knows. the answer that I want from my well, right. <laughs> college football playoff quarterback, yes? My suspicion is that if Michigan wins at least the semifinal, and certainly the natty, J.J. goes. I mean, he's probably going to have to play pretty well in both of those games for that to happen anyway. So if he does that, and Michigan wins and has achieved literally everything that can possibly be achieved this season, I think J.J. taps out and enters the draft. If they don't, I don't know. That seems much more ambiguous as to what he decides to do. There's definitely some belief from the insidery people that he is seriously considering coming back. And I think if he doesn't play well and it's eh, maybe instead of a mid-first rounder, your early second round, he might come back and try to be you know, the Heisman candidate, number one QB in the draft next year, which is possible with his talent. So... Yeah, Sam Webb, actually, I, I said I was listening to some of his player interviews over the last like week or so, and he did one with Corum before the big toy drive that, right. that Blake did last weekend. And one of the questions that he asked, and it felt like one of those questions where there's obviously like a motive, like he's fishing a yeah. little bit, right? There's obviously like a color to this question. And he asked him specifically about the process of – electing to come back for the 2023 season and what that was like and what he was thinking about and all of this stuff. And he specifically asked if Blake had been consulted by any of the other players on the team who Mm -hmm. might be in the same position, wink, wink, nod, nod. Like it, (laughs) it was a very point, like it was a very pointed question and Blake pretty gracefully declined to answer it. I mean, he basically said like, Nobody has approached me about this yet because nobody is thinking about this yet, right? This is, this is, we've got goals. Our our job's not finished, right? That's the, that's the mantra. Job's not finished. That's the Blake Corum line. Job's not finished. And so he was like, job's not finished. I suspect that my teammates will seek my counsel when the time comes. And I've, I've let them know basically that. I'm here to talk to them about this kind of thing if they want to kind of pick my brain about it. It was basically like the, the tenor of the answer that he gave. Sure. But it was pretty obvious, I think, who Sam Webb was asking about or getting at. Well, yeah, I mean, know? they've got a bunch of guys, right? But J.J. in particular, and that's what's putting Michigan in a tough spot here because you've seen a number of pretty good, like no mega quarterback has entered the portal, but there have been a number of like pretty good players who have come in and most of them have found their new homes. But for Michigan, you don't really know what you are pursuing at this point. I mean, they could have taken somebody like Dante Moore, who's got a few years of eligibility, and if he's not starting this year, like, that's fine. You give him a year to learn, and then he competes for the job in 2025 or whatever if J.J. comes back. But if J.J. doesn't come back, you'd really prefer to have the kind of one-year stopgap guy, somebody like Sam Hartman at Notre Dame this year, right? Experienced guy, one year of eligibility left. He can kind of try to hit his peak with a Michigan team that can compete for a playoff with a good quarterback. All of that makes sense. But you don't know that you have that. Like, you don't know that you have that position open. And so none of the viable options that you might pursue if J.J. were leaving can you actually pursue. I guess there are still a couple interesting guys on the board. One of them is K.J. Jefferson. He's probably the only guy on the, like, experienced veteran kind of end. Much different style. He's more of a runner, so that 
you know, would be something Michigan would have to figure out how to work around if they even did pursue him, which I haven't heard anything about. The other guy is Malachi Nelson, who was the number one overall recruit in last year's recruiting class and just bailed on USC after USC took Will Howard from Kansas State out of the portal. And they've also got Miller Moss, who was Caleb, Miller's back, or Caleb Williams' backup last year. So he felt like he had kind of a logjam in front of him, was probably looking at being a third stringer for another year and was like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, when Malachi Nelson entered the portal, your immediate reaction was that Ohio State lured him into the portal. Might have dropped the bag. But it doesn't seem that that's the case. He didn't have, like, the the Riley Leonard thing, which is, you know, Riley Leonard, oh, like, yeah, yeah. entered the transfer portal, and then, like, literally 45 seconds later, it was like, we're reporting that Riley Leonard's going to go to Notre Dame, and then he did, right? Like... It was Woj basketball free agency level tweeting where it's like the deal was already done before the news even like before this guy was even available. The deal was done mm-hmm. for sure. And so it, it doesn't we thought that might be the case that we might get an immediate like yeah. Malachi Nelson transfer portal, Malachi Nelson, Ohio State, because they're obviously shopping for someone to replace McCord unless they think Devin Brown is the answer. I mean, that's the weird thing is that we're going to talk about this. All these guys. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can just start talking about it, I guess. But like, well, before we get to that, I will say Malachi Nelson's interesting. He would be another guy like Dante Moore that you could go after and say, he's probably not really ready this year, but your alternatives like in the program are also not going to be ready. Right. Like Davis Warren, I don't think is ready to, to be QB one for a playoff contender. And Jaden Davis is going to be a true freshman who's presumably even a little further behind the curve than Malachi Nelson is with a redshirt year. Like you don't necessarily have better options. So if you want a guy to compete for that job and maybe like kind of like Domaine Jackson, I guess, be like maybe you get the upside and if it doesn't work, then fuck it. We tried and we're back to what we were dealing with or what we had in our back pocket to begin with. I don't know. I'm curious about that one. I would prefer he end up at Michigan rather than Ohio State, but we can talk about Ohio State. <laughs> I don't actually know if they're shopping for somebody because Cam Ward from Washington State, he was the guy who I think when he went in the portal, people were saying that's probably the guy for Ohio State, probably the best quarterback on the board in this cycle. And then that never really came to fruition. I don't think he visited. Looks like it's between Miami and Florida State for him. And then there was DJ Wangalele. And people thought, well, maybe you know, another veteran guy, pretty good quarterback, could that fit? Looks like it's probably Florida State for him, unless Ward goes there, and then maybe it's Miami. And then Oregon took Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, who's another guy, like really accurate passer, could have been pretty scary in that Ohio State system, but he immediately went off the board to Oregon, and Ohio State was never seriously mentioned. So I don't really know what's going on there. I, it... Wait, they got him and Dante Moore? Correct, yeah. Right, so Dante Cam Moore Manning. is taking the developmental path there. Well, developmental plus Oregon money. I mean, <laughs> Nike money. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, they got both those guys. And Ohio State, it just doesn't seem like they've really pursued anybody, despite McCord bailing. He's at Syracuse now. And so you would think they'd have somebody else lined up. Like, that was the expectation when McCord left was like, oh, okay, they're bringing in somebody. They've got, you know, a deal basically done. You think they have someone who's not currently in the portal? Like who? I don't know. Like, do you think there's somebody currently playing on a team preparing for a bowl game that Ohio State... Because we saw this report, right, from 
Indiana's new head coach, whoever the fuck he is. I can't remember. Yeah, Kurt Signetti. He made the comment that they have silent commitments from players who are currently preparing for bowl games, meaning they're not in the portal, meaning Indiana's tampering. (laughs) And he's just out out there saying this. Right. I mean, I guess it's hypothetically possible. The thing is, I don't think there's anybody... There's not anybody better than the guys who were in the portal. Like, there's nobody to me other than... Like, there's nobody to me who's not in the portal who would seem gettable, who is better than Cam Ward... Dylan Gabriel. Well, it's right. Like if they're in the port, if they're playing in a fucking bowl game and it's not a bowl game that matters, opt out and enter the portal like right. everybody else. Like wh- who? Why are you playing that? Right. It's not somebody on a playoff team. Right. I mean, right. I don't think they're gonna steal JJ McCarthy from uh, us, unless they're do you? stealing like Arch Manning from Texas or something weird like that. But I've seen multiple reports that about Quinn Ewers. He's kind of in the same boat as JJ, right? Arch Manning is actually fascinating. I think they could tamper with Arch Manning. I don't think he's leaving Texas because there's been a lot of speculation about that. Like, should Quinn Ewers just leave because Texas doesn't want to leave or doesn't want to lose potentially Arch Manning if he sits another year? And all the reports I've seen are that he's fine with that. He wants to play for Steve Sarkeesian. That's his guy he wants to develop from. And I don't think he would bail on that to get one more year of playing time. But I don't know. Weird shit happens. Interesting. I just I don't see anybody out there who would be better in 2024 than the guys they already could have pursued and haven't. So I don't really understand the methodology there. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, it would be great if they actually had a like we were saying that for a lot of this year, like Ohio State without elite quarterback play, like it's kind of <laughs> is it too good to be true? And they didn't have it, and they still, you know, almost went fucking 12 and 0. But Devin Brown looked way worse than Kyle McCord McCord early in the year you tweeted the story about when we went to Wisconsin a couple years ago yeah I mean you know a lot of people like I said are wish casting about Devin Brown and you know they're like he could be you know like he could be better than McCord we're seeing him really come on during this bull prep time like fall camp couldn't do it but now now he's like whatever and that's not to say players improve like it's fine that's possible but they improve by playing <laughs> right they yeah they don't just usually approve by improve by sitting back there and then magically they're better um but you know i i tweeted this story and i said in 2019 we went to madison right and michigan gets fucking waxed in madison it was not competitive at all and you know shea patterson is playing very poorly he's obviously hurt everybody was playing poorly yeah. but shea patterson among them yeah everybody looked like shit Shea Patterson was one of the people who looked like shit. And, you know, we're sitting there. And at some point, they pull Patterson. We're surrounded by Wisconsin fans, right? We're at Camp Randall. And some, like, kind of younger guy. Like, I don't think he was a student because we weren't in the student section. But he was maybe slightly older than student-aged. Like a 23-year-old, a 24-year-old. I don't know, something. He just yells when we put McCaffrey in. He's like what the fuck this guy's worse than patterson like holy shit this guy's worse than worse than patterson i was like yeah that's like usually how it works (laughs) like most people don't have a backup that's better than their (laughs) starter or else they would be the starter like we're not the math is not mathing and that's just kind of how i feel about devin brown right now like you can say what you want but it's all like it's your wish casting shut up he had every chance to win that job in preseason and the first like third of the season when kyle mccord was struggling and he went 12 of 22 with two touchdowns and an interception. Like, he was not good. And, again, it was even the Ohio State fans were saying it. Like, this guy's not playable. We can't be getting him in the game, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know what they're doing there, but it's very interesting. And, you know, like you said, the, the bowl game against Missouri, 
will be kind of fascinating to see how he looks. I don't know that it's going to be super representative because Missouri's defense isn't very good, but will be informative nonetheless. The other spin I've been seeing from Ohio State people is that they're just allocating all their quote-unquote resources toward getting Marvin Harrison Jr. and Trevion Henderson to come back. Shut up. If Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't have someone to get him the ball, I don't think it matters if he's back, actually. Well, right. That's the thing is that... That relationship is like symbiotic. Like you can't just have... Marvin Harrison Jr. can't pass the ball to him fucking self. Be serious. Well, right. I mean, this year he was already probably the best college receiver that we've seen in a decade plus. And he still couldn't carry Ohio State to national title contender level. So if you're taking a step back at quarterback, which you are, going from McCord to his backup, then how does that make you better off on the whole than bringing in a quarterback and letting him work with the you know, 14 other five-star receivers you've got on the roster? I will say there are a lot of Ohio State people who are, let's say, skeptical of Ryan Day's roster management. That is not something they've been super thrilled with in his time as head coach. And I can't say I blame him with the way this offseason is going because it's questionable. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of portal losses, and I don't necessarily think that's the problem. Like, attrition from a program like that is normal. They have, I think, 16 players in the portal the last I saw. And anybody who recruits like that is going to have, you know, high four-star, five-star guys who just aren't getting the time they think right. they warrant. It's and normal. That's not the problem. The problem is it doesn't seem like they are particularly effectively using the portal to bridge roster gaps. Right. And that's something that Michigan's been quite good at. Right. They're like, we need another linebacker. Let's go get one. We need another corner. You know, we wanted Igbenusen. We got Josh Wallace. But like, you know, yeah, we'll make it work. We'll, we'll find a guy who's work. capable. And that's what they've been doing. And, you know, th- another context not to bring up our depressing basketball team, who, as I understand it, is about to lose again. <laughs> but like they've compared Jim Harbaugh's roster management and use of the portal to that of Juwan Howard. And it just like you're not doing it right within the confines of what your program is permitted to do. Right. And, you know, there's a lot to be, I think, skeptical about with respect to how Day is doing this. I was going to say, oddly enough, Michigan Has Marvin State... Harrison Jr. opted out? No. I haven't seen anything definitive on that yet. Me no. either. I was going to say, Michigan State looks like they're probably better off a quarterback right now than Ohio State. Yikes. I mean, they brought in Aiden Childs, who was really promising as a freshman this last year at Oregon State. He was rotating in with Uangalale, where they were getting him like a series every half or something like that. And he's coming in along with Jonathan Smith, obviously. I don't think we've had much of a chance to to talk about Michigan State hiring Smith, but that's obviously a good hire. I, I think we were a little surprised that he bailed on Oregon State given the timing and what they're dealing with as far as the Pac-12's collapse and their uncertainty. But, I mean, given what Michigan State was this last year, <laughs> it was a low bar to hire somebody who was going to be an improvement. They've got nowhere to go but up. And it does seem like between the couple of guys they brought in from the portal, including Childs, and uh, they also brought in Oregon State's tight end, Jack Velling, who was a pretty good like all Pac-12 level player. They're upgrading to a point where I think they're going to hit a level of competence pretty quickly. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of emblematic of a trend that I tweeted about this a few days ago. It's just something that's kind of come into the forefront over the past few weeks, which is that a lot of the Big Ten, like especially the teams that seem kind of destined to be buried in the third or fourth tier of the expanded Big Ten. So here I'm talking like Michigan State, Indiana, maybe Nebraska, 
they are suddenly spending a lot of money and committing a lot of resources with the soul, like with the obvious intent of not having that happen, not getting buried in the fourth tier of this 18 team conference. Indiana, right? Just fired Tom Allen. They brought in Kurt Signetti from James Madison after they had a great year. And all of a sudden he's pulled a, a bunch of guys out of the portal. He's talking about silent commits from other teams, you know, tampering, like stuff you wouldn't necessarily think Indiana would be on the forefront of doing. And then you've got Nebraska. Matt Rule gets up at the podium a week or so ago and says, hey, it costs like $2 million bucks for a, an all-conference all level quarterback if you're going to get one. And then a few days later, Kyle McCord's visiting, and they get Dylan Rayola, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the country, to flip his commitment from Georgia to Nebraska. Like, I don't know if that was a coincidence. He's got uh, his uncle on staff. The Rayolas all went to Nebraska. But when you've got the coach getting up there and talking about money, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're signing five-star quarterbacks, like, kind of seems like Nebraska's, you know, really committing to be like, hey, we don't... <laughs> We don't want to be the 12th best team in this conference anymore. And then even to some extent, Penn State. I mean, they went out and hired Kansas's offensive coordinator, which is really fascinating. That's just such a total departure from like what Kansas has been doing is such a total departure from everything James Franklin has been doing at Penn State through his previous five offensive coordinators or whatever he's had there in his time. And then they just yesterday hired Tom Allen as defensive coordinator. Right, so it just feels like all of a sudden <laughs> there are a lot of... Uh, it's an arms race. Yeah, and everybody is realizing it. I think maybe even more so, like looking at the future and saying, whatever this is going to be, I want to be relevant. And I'm going to spend what it takes because I've got money. I might as well do something with it, right? Well, right, and it feels like, I mean, you know, we have this new form, Big Ten, that'll be hitting us in the fall. But beyond that, I mean the super conference doesn't feel very far away. You no. know, the full super conference that includes SEC teams and Big 12 teams, whoever's left, right? The ACC teams, the former Pac-12 teams that are worth worth the money. And I think all of these teams are positioning themselves to not be one of the teams that doesn't appear to be worth the money. Right. Well, yeah, and I'm sure you saw the uh... not only to win games in the not only to win games in the conference that they're currently in for the sake of winning games, but also for the sake of making sure that they are not left behind when the super conference of the future rolls around. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think Indiana is doing this so that they can go eight and four instead of four and eight in the Big Ten. I think they're doing it so that they can make themselves relevant in whatever the future of college football looks like. I'm sure you saw the proposal from. Charlie Baker, right, the NCAA president, last week, where he kind of I did laid out for the first time, I think, in in any like Meaningful concrete proposal way, yeah. or uh, basically a, a, an idea to siphon off the top of FBS football and have a system where you can opt in to providing players. I think it's thirty thousand dollars a year is the amount that you have to would have to offer to be a part of this like new football conference, super league, whatever it's going to be. And so I think that's a big part of it, yeah, is we want to be among the teams that are playing big boy college football and not the left behinds, which there are going to be probably a lot of if anything like that ends up being the reality. And it, it probably will be. I mean, it might not be that. It might be something else that the Supreme Court dictates. <laughs> but it'll probably be something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. We've got a couple other random notes here about just 
other Michigan things. You want to hit on anything else there? No, that's it. I want to talk about our guys now. We got some All-Americans. Talk about our guys, yeah. So Zach Zinter was a unanimous uh, All-American this year. Um, It's the third straight year that Michigan has had one, a unanimous All-American for the first time ever. It was Aiden Hutchinson in 2021, Blake Corum last year, and now Zach Zinter. I'm familiar with those guys. Yeah, they're they're kind of a big deal. Um, Also... Mikey, um, a first-team All-American to Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, and if I recall correctly, ESPN. Who'd have thought? He's the, the Paul Rudd meme. Like, uh, yeah. think back two years ago, three years ago. I mean, Mikey's a you know slot receiver, get right. a, a couple you know handful of snaps a game, and all of a sudden here he is, I mean, first-team All-American. When we were talking about him as a position switch player, and I'm like, oh no, yeah, like, that whole off-season we were like, he might be okay, but. Ugh. Like, if he's starting, switching immediately, like, that's that just never goes well. Wrong. First team All-American. That's amazing. And he's getting his picture hung up at Schembechler, which hilariously, <laughs> if you saw the photo, Jim Harbaugh is personally nailing the photos to the wall. That's right. He's up on his, like, his own step stool with his, like, stud finder and hammer, stuff that he probably picked up at Home Depot on the way into Schembechler Hall while achieving his, like, personal dad nirvana, because that's just what Jim Harbaugh is. It's... It was an extremely funny picture to see, you know, just to see him up there, like, fucking hammering away in Schembechler Hall. Like, oh, yes, of course. The, right. It's very funny. <laughs> the football I don't, coach is doing that. I don't know how Michigan does this as an institution, but, like, at work, right, I can't hang something up on my wall. Like, if I want to put my diplomas up on the wall in my office or if I want to put photos up on the wall in my office, I have to, like, call the building who will send right. someone in to hang shit up on my wall. I don't know if Michigan's buildings on the whole are like that, but Jim Harbaugh was like, nah, fuck it. I'm I'm getting the hammer out, and I'm putting this on the wall myself. Very funny. Deeply dad behavior. Yeah, I have to imagine he's not the guy who should have that job, but it's Jim Harbaugh, so here we are. He's unreal. There was also Blake Corum had a couple second-team All-America honors. Same with Chris Jenkins and Will Johnson had a couple as well. I think Mason Graham might have had one, actually. I didn't have that in my notes, but I want to say that he was at least on one team or like by one publication was a second team All-American. So Mm -hmm. pretty good representation. And uh, Drake Nugent, I was going to mention, was a Remington finalist, which is kind of interesting just because there's been so much conversation this year about the offensive line and the drop off from last year. And it's true. I mean, he's not Oluwolowatimi, but the fact that he was still recognized as one of the three best centers in the sport should really as much as anything else, just highlight how good Olu was last year. And that he was really one of the best interior linemen Michigan's ever had. I miss him so much. And I guess the the other side of that is that if we are fortunate enough to get Nugent back, he does have another year of eligibility. We shouldn't underestimate how good he is as a college center just because he's not Olu Oluwatimi. I mean, you're still talking about, again, one of the three finalists for the best player at his position in the sport. So would be nice to get him back along with the uh, the various other guys we already already discussed yeah for sure it's going to be an interesting few weeks between the games and then figuring out what takes shape as far as michigan in 2024 but we've I been don't avoiding even... talking about that for so long because it's like you know this this season this is the team right i mean that was the hardball quote too right it was like <laughs> that he made the comment before the ohio state game when he was talking to the team like the team the team the team this is the team. And that's kind of the view we've taken is like, this is it. This is, you know, we're number one in SP plus. Now we're number one seed going into the playoff. 
with a, a very winnable field. Like it's all on the table now. And so we don't really want to think ahead, but <laughs> the timing and the nature of the, the weird schedule in college football makes it all kind of come to a head at the same point. So it, it's there in the back of your mind, but at the same time, I think both of us are a little preoccupied with the Rose Bowl. We are. It's going to be my first time at the Rose Bowl. Michigan really has not <sighs> played there at all in my fandom. So when we got the matchup, I, like I said, I was in the office, right? I was working. It was the day before my trial started. And, you know, there was like a little bit of when you're preparing for trial, there's some downtime built in there, right? So I'm sending something to the partner to look at that we're going to, you know, give to the judge or put on display or whatever. And so the partner's looking, I've got some downtime and I get out the iPad, I break it out a little bit and I start watching the the selection show. Just a little bit, a few minutes. It's a treat. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching when they announce the four and, you know, they save that one for last, right? For the drama. Yeah, of course. And I see that it's Bama. I see that it's, you know, I know that that's our matchup at this point, right? Because we've already been announced at the one. And and you messaged me and you were like, so are we going? And I was like, I don't know. Like, because the nerves are going to be outrageous for me. But we decided we, you know, couldn't not go. Had to do it. I mean, I was lucky enough to go after the 2003 season when Michigan played USC then they went the next year with the Chad Henney team his freshman year and they played Texas and Vince Young the year before they really blew up but it's been 19 years in total and 20 years since I went but having been there once I mean I don't know how there could be a more beautiful setting in sports just sun setting over the San Gabriel Mountains late on New Year's Day the Rose Bowl field I mean it's it's Michigan and it's Bama it's the bluest of blue bloods literally and figuratively in the granddaddy of them all we're like we're one Keith Jackson short of this being college football heaven. So having the opportunity to go for the first time in 20 years, I couldn't turn it down. No, so we will be there. Like I said, I will be shitting bricks, but we will be <laughs> there. And I think we'll probably, we'll try. I know the holidays approach. So we're going to try to get back on here before the Rose Bowl rolls around and do one more. But either way, I think I want to, again, thank you all for listening if you're still here we've had an unbelievable you... amount of support from people who were posting just before the like early december i guess around the time of the conference championship games their spotify wrapped and whatever else and we're for some reason among the you know some people's most listened to podcasts and it's really uh really unbelievable it's so, an it's an honor it is it really is and so for that we thank you and we wish you the happiest of holidays the safest and best, and we will hopefully see you back next week. Go Blue.